Well, as you all know, um, not that I get a lot of opportunity these days, but um, <laughs> I love to minister the Word, and I count it always a privilege to be able to stand um, and minister to you this morning. I also count it a privilege to be able to unpack, and uh, for me to stay in my lane is to, is, to, um, is to build foundations and to teach into the Word. So I want to try to stay in my lane this, this morning, and I just want to build a couple of things. I want to just help us unfold a little bit about the tabernacle of David, um, just talk a little bit about what it means. I know we've been talking about it over the last couple of weeks, but I just want to make sure that the foundations are good, and then um, maybe do a little bit of the heart of David, because I'm so mesmerized and captivated by David. Um, do you know, only by studying him in the more recent times, I mean, I've, I've, I've read it and studied it, but in the more recent times when I really began to study it, I didn't realize that David is the most talked about person in the Bible, second only to Jesus. And it's throughout the whole Bible, you just see him being mentioned all the time, not just in the Old Testament, but all through the New Testament. David is just, he's a man after God's heart, and he's the only man that God said that about. He was, he was captivated by something, and, and I believe if we understand that this morning, whatever, we'll, we'll get captivated by what God was all about. Amen. I've got this little little um, world here, because when we went to Potchestrum during the week, uh, which was an amazing time, and there, there's something happening in Potchestrum, it's like uh, Nazareth, um, <laughs> what good thing can come out of Potchestrum? <laughs> no, shame. Are we recording this? Oh, dear. Um, um, but the reality is there's something going on there. The presence and power of God is moving amazingly in that little town. And, um, and uh, um, Francis Chan shared this little illustration. It so grabbed my heart that I thought um, I would just use it again this morning just as a starting point just to launch off from. Um, and he had this little world, and I don't know where I'll put it, but I'll just, okay, I'll put it, I'll put it here, okay. So he had this little world, and he said, uh, the times that we're living in now, the world is, is saying certain things, and we as the church are standing here with the Word of God, looking at the Word of God, looking at what the world's saying, kind of going, hmm, that doesn't make sense. And the world says, no, it'll be all right if you um, just swear a little bit. It's all good. A couple of cussing words, it's okay. And so we go, no, no, that's not, that's not the word. It says we must, all good and wholesome things must come out of our mouths, so that's not good. And it says, no, the world says, no, you know, we can kind of just use Jesus' name in vain. And, um, and it's all good because, you know, who's Jesus? And we as the church sit here and go, okay, well, I'll never use the name of Jesus. And I don't even want to hear the name of Jesus in vain. But the odd swear word is okay. And the world says, no, okay, well, you know, we also just, uh, we believe in having, you know, human rights and we make sure we have our way and we take what we need, whatever, and that because of injustice, so we're just going to be a bit violent. So we go like, well, I guess, you know, it's the world's movies, so I guess we can listen to some swearing, probably the odd uh, using Jesus' name in vain. It's all right. But we are not the world. We don't, we don't do this stuff. And the world goes, no, no, maybe what we should do is let's have a little bit of sexual stuff and that, it's, it's all right. And we go, well, 
you know, a odd bit of violence, you know, a bit of violence in the movies, shoot a couple of oaks, whatever, is all right. But we're not like the world because we, we don't get involved in the sexual stuff. And the world goes, yeah, well, also, um, um, I do think that, um, you know, kind of this male and female thing is a bit of a, it's, it's overrated. It's overdone a bit, whether you're male or female, doesn't matter. And we go, well, you know what I mean? The odd little sexual scene, whatever, in a movie or whatever is all right because, hey, I'm not like the world because I believe in a man and a woman. What we don't realize is that where is the word of God? And the next minute when we look up, we're not like the world, but we are a long way off the word of God. And uh, what he did share was, thank you, buddy. What he did share was um, that the Bible says we are to tremble at his word. Amen. His word is everything to us. We, we love his word. We give our life for his word. His word is who he is. It's, it's, our, it's our focus. It's our affection. Amen. Um, it's, who, it's Jesus. He's our focus. He's our affection. He's our fellowship. He's our all. Amen. And so what I share this morning, I, I'm trusting the Lord that it's his word. And um, whatever mindset or whatever th you might be thinking or have in your heart, all I ask is that you just stay trembling at his word. Stay at his word. Not all that's been said or, or, or things, but just at his word this morning. So I'm going to try. Everything that I, I'm going to share this morning, I'm trusting um, because of the sake of time, I can't unpack every single scripture, but it is all scriptural. And uh, if you need to follow up with all the scriptures over the next little while, I'm hoping we will give you all of them. Um, or otherwise, you can come ask me and I'll, I'll give them to you. So, so we have this beautiful um, declaration, prophetic declaration in the Bible in Amos 9, I think it's 11 and 12, where it talks about prophetically looking at the end times where God will restore the tabernacle of David. And, uh, and we, it's a nice sort of catchphrase, a lot of churches, and they talk about it, um, this tabernacle of David, uh, and God's going to restore it in the end times. But nobody really understands or has really grabbed hold of what that actually means. And we just feel like right now, that's what God is going after. He's going after uh, this understanding and this revelation so the church can walk in what he actually meant. So, so I want to try and unpack that a little bit, and then let's see. Um, and I want to say this, that right from the word go throughout the whole Bible, if you look, there is a central or one of the central and major themes of the Bible is that God wanted to come and dwell amongst his people. God wants to come and dwell amongst his people, and he wants his people to be a, 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 a nation of, kingdom, of kings and priests. That was always God's desire. Every single expression in the word of God from Genesis to Revelation is that desire. Right to the very end, in the end you'll see that desire um, fulfilled as John sees the, the new Jerusalem and um, a new heaven, new earth um, and, and there's the New Jerusalem comes down from from the um, or down from the from the heavens. Um, as we look at the city, there it says it's a city without a temple. Strange thing to say, right? Now, it's not a strange thing to say because it was the theme throughout the whole of the Bible. Because the whole of the Bible is <laughs> the whole of the Bible. The whole of the Bible 
Pinocchio, did I say something wrong? Sorry. Um, um, the whole of the Bible, that's the theme of the Bible. It's about God coming to dwell with man. What is a temple? It's a place where God dwells, right? So you see, see in the end, at the end of the book, you see that um, there is no temple in the city because the Bible says that God is our temple. And so we, we need to look at the whole Bible, look at the whole expression of the Bible to understand what the theme, what the heart of God was, and then how David's tabernacle fits into this whole theme, right? So there's a heavenly blueprint, blueprint, can I have some water? Thank you. For the church, um, and this heavenly blueprint is there so that the church can mature and come into its Christ-likeness and into its fullness, and then it can fulfill its purpose, Right? So if you fulfill the blueprint and the plan that God has, then the church will come into maturity and into the fullness of Christ. And not only will it come into maturity and the fullness of Christ, but it will also now fulfill all that God planned. Sorry, I'm stealing your water. Sorry. Um, on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to say this up front. Connor, I think, has said it once or twice. But let me just reiterate it. When we come before the Lord and we come together as the church and we gather on a Sunday, we're not coming here to express and do something um, that we're hoping God will be pleased with. We're actually coming to join with what is going on in heaven so that we can partner so that this can become a place, a dwelling place for Him. You see, what happens in heaven is that 24-7 there is worship going on in heaven. This is not a new concept. This is something that happens in heaven all the time. And do you know that everything in heaven starts with worship? Worship and thanksgiving. That's what um, the Bible says you must enter his gates with uh, thanksgiving into his courts with praise. Everything in heaven starts with worship. It must start with worship. There must be this place in our hearts where we come and we worship. And, and as we be, Jane was sharing so powerfully last week too, worship is not songs, friends. Worship is a heart. See, David understood that. And that's why we'll see how there's going to be a restoration of that. So we're seeing this blueprint that God wants us to step into and to operate in. And the way you can step into and operate in this blueprint is with the heart of David. So in these end times, God's wanting to pour out over his church this heart that it can step into his blueprint and fulfill all that he's called us to. That's why we are talking about this, not so you can get some, whoo, I can understand some of the pages of the Bible. Um, it's so that we can understand what he's, what he's actually trying to tell us. So this is my absolute, absolute favorite topic in the whole world, so I'm going to try to do it in a short little space uh, this morning um, and move on because I do want to try and get to the whole thing and walk through the whole Bible. But it all starts in the garden. It all starts in the garden. The garden is not some nice little thing. It's not a nice little story. It's like, you know what, we actually have got something that counteracts uh, uh, evolution, our story starts when Adam and Eve, they were in the garden, God made them, and they cuddled, and, and then this is how it happened. And, and uh, let me tell you, if I could express to you the garden, it was the most phenomenal, most wonderful, uh, creative uh, plan of God that he had 
with man. It all starts simply that he has this geographical, physical area called Eden. He declared and he spoke and everything in Eden came to, to be to, to grow and to flourish, and it was, it was a, a beautiful place. Eden was a magnificent place. The garden is not Eden. The garden God went and placed in the east of Eden, and the garden he planted himself. Everything that was done in the garden was done by God himself for man. This is, and, uh, and so now he, he, he creates Adam and Eve, and what does he do? He puts them in the garden. In the garden, and the Bible says, oh, I'm running off a, just a small trail, hold me. Um, but he places them in the garden, and he, and, he, and he declares over them, be fruitful and multiply and subdue and take dominion. He's declaring to them that I've created this place, this garden. What shall we call it? Don't think garden, so think, what should we call it? Let's call it sanctuary. Let's call it tabernacle. Let's call it temple. The place where God comes, where he encounters man, where he dwells, where he walks in the cool of the garden, where he, he, he ministers and, 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 where, and where man is, is just, uh, just, he's created in his image, where man can flourish. And then the Bible says from Eden comes a river, a river that waters the garden and from the garden, it splits into four and goes throughout the region of Eden. What am I trying to multiply? From your, Eden, your garden, from your belly, will flow what? Rivers of living water. Pishon, Gion, Tigris, Euphrates will flow from that place. But what is so important about the garden is the garden is placed in Eden, friends. What is challenging the church today is not the garden because Jesus secured your garden. What's challenging, challenging the church today is your Eden. You got too many Christians, they're saved, they're born again, their spirit man cannot change, they've got a place where God dwells. But their Eden is fraught. So it cannot water the garden. And from the garden is not flowing the rivers of living water. Now I've gone off track, I'm back on, okay, back onto this. So here's, here's, the, here's the garden of Eden. The garden of Eden is this place for God to come and to, to minister and to, and to dwell with man. And, and there's just, there's so much I could unpack in that. It's, it's the, it's the meeting place of heaven and earth. And when you study this and understand the garden, you realize that, that heaven and earth were operating together as one with the Lord. Do you know in, in, in um, Ezekiel, I think it's 28, I think around about 13, I think 28, 13, double check me. And in Ezekiel 28, I think it's 13, it says, when it's talking about Lucifer, talking about the angel of light. It says you were covered in all these stones and you were where? You were in the garden. There were angelic beings in the garden, friends. Even when Adam and Eve 
sin. And God has to kick them out. He kicks them out of where? Out of the garden, not Eden. Out of the garden. Because in the garden, what's in the garden? What's the most important thing that's in the garden? The tree of life. See, what happens with Christians is they forget what's the most important thing. And they think that they can actually just eat other trees and neglect the most important thing. And God would not have that. So what did he do? He actually put a cherubim there. What's a cherubim? Ever seen a cherubim? You should. It was on earth. That'll stretch you. (laughs) Heavenly beings were being manifested on the earth. Heavenly beings. So we get like weirded out when a guy stands here and goes, well, I saw this angel and he was this, that, and the other. He was doing this. He goes, ooh. No, he's actually just experiencing a realm that God opened up that happened in the garden and Jesus restored back that realm. Friends, we're partnering with the heavenly realms. I know this might stretch you this morning, but this is the Bible. This is what happened in the garden. And we're now in a place where we're better than Adam and Eve in the garden because we have Christ now inside of us. He also, whether you believe he put a flaming sword in the cherubim's hand or whether it was a flaming sword, it was a phenomenal event because this flaming sword was spinning around going in every single direction. That's an amazing thing. Have you ever seen a flaming sword spinning around and going in all different directions and what have you? That was a phenomenal, that was a heavenly expression. See, what am I doing this morning? I'm not trying to freak you out and go, oh, this guy, he's been eating too much spaghetti. Um, The the reality is, friends, what I'm trying to do is enlarge us to the realms of God that he wants us to walk into and he wants us to experience and that when heaven and earth come together, which is the tabernacle of David, um, not only is there songs of worship, but friends, what happens is, which is what David understood, is the government of God is released. That's not some boss and some who sits there who comes to his office every th- three days a week. Oh, no, that's just, no, let's not say that. Uh, <laughs> it's another government. No, um, the, government, the government of God, what he's talking about, is the power and authority of God. See, what comes with this, what David understood, what comes with this is a, do I need it? I don't know. Thank you. Um, what comes with Worship, as you position your heart, what comes with David's understanding as he comes into the presence of the Lord and he positions his heart because God will not, uh, he's a jealous God, he will not tolerate um, you worshiping idols and him. So you have to be like David. Do you notice I was talking about the heart, I wasn't talking about sin? Well, that's a cracker that's going on in the church at the moment. Because there's a passion in our heart for people to want to come into that place of seeing God and, and loving Him. But the method is vital, church. It's vital how we understand this. Because David wasn't perfect. Ooh. No, let me stay on track. Okay, I'll stay on track. So, so here's, here's what God was establishing. He was establishing communion and fellowship with Adam and Eve where heaven would come down, where heaven would be expressed, so we would receive from heaven, and heaven would be expressed, and the garden was this place where we would be nourished and fulfilled, and, and where we would be, 
we would come in and, and the, our hearts, the position of our hearts was vital in worship for who He is. Because when you stand around the throne, friends, and you make Him the central point, I love Francis Chan. I did not know this, but he said up to uh, about 500 years ago, for the first 1,500 years of the church, what was in the center of the church was the bread and the wine. The pulpit was not there. The last 500 years, man said, hey, it might be a good thing to put the pulpit in the center. Let's put the bread and wine on the table by the corner. And what happened for the last 500 years, everyone said, that's a good idea. Let's just do that. So now everything concentrates on the pulpit instead of on the bread and the wine. Um, you have to bring him, put him in his rightful place. But as you bring him and put him in his rightful place, so there's such an expression of government, such an expression of authority, that you can now go and, and um, make Edens of places. Bringing the place into an Eden environment. See, that's why we're supposed to have Edens in our hearts. Our Eden environment, where we allow the Lord, it, it protects Friends, why is the church, a large part of the church, or many in the church, so unhealthy? God says, I, beloved, I pray, 3 John 2, I, beloved, I pray that you would prosper and be in health even as your Eden prospers. But our Edens, they don't prosper, friends, it affects our ability before the Lord to actually take authority, to subdue, to have dominion over our lives. So we've got a lot of Christians, but they have no authority or power in their lives. It's coming back to this. Oh, I don't want to stay on the garden too much, so let me... Um, uh, so just, just moving along. Let me, let me, maybe I can help you. So just picture this. Get, get a, a quick timeline so that I can jump uh, faster. It's just... So you've got Adam and Eve, you've got the garden, right? Adam and Eve, you've got the garden, that's the first temple, that's the first sanctuary, that's the first uh, garden, whatever you want to call it, uh, tabernacle in the Bible, God's plan and God's purpose. Then uh, Adam and Eve sinned, so they kicked out of that understanding. So you, that's 4,000 BC, right? Then you've got 2,000 years later, you've got Abraham. God comes, visits Abraham, begins to declare and speak into Abraham's life. Um, and so in a way, Abraham becomes a priest. He comes where, the, where God chooses now where his presence is, is manifest. So he manifests his presence on Abraham, and he declares a whole bunch of promises to Abraham. I'm going to make your name great, etc. You're going to be a blessing. All of that to Abraham. So that's 2,000 years later. Uh, well, no, that's yeah. So And that's 2,000 B.C. Then you get to Moses, 1,500 B.C., we understand with Moses that God gave him the blueprint, um, God spoke to him, and uh, he um, sets up the temple, right? And, uh, and the temple, we know, was not the ideal thing of what God wanted, because God had said, I want a kingdom. He speaks in Exodus, um, I think it's 18, 19, 19, he speaks about a kingdom of priests. So God's desire was always a kingdom of priests. Oh, everybody coming, but um, they go, no, 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 you go, whatever. So, so we get this three-compartment type of temple, which is not, not God's heart, right? And, uh, and, you know, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies only once a year. Um, everyone's looking a little blank. Everyone, are we all kind of understanding? I hope I'm not just speaking so fast. That's, uh, and 
when you look, for the sake of time, when you look at, the, uh, you study Moses and when God gives Moses the, the blueprint uh, for the temple, you'll see the imagery there is so strongly related to the garden, it's, it's incredible. And he said unbelievable. No, it's not unbelievable. It's believable. It's incredible how God uh, puts the two together. Um, and, um, and from that, because now there's three parts and all of that, which is not God's plan, that's when the priesthood now is, is developed, Right? Um, and, and long story short, Moses, he abdicates, we know that, uh, and so Aaron has to step in, and as soon as Aaron steps in, we're in trouble, um, and it's, it's the Levitical priesthood, it's, 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 it's now coming from another lineage, so God begins to put in place that there's going to be a change, there's going to be another lineage that's going to come about, and we see, um, after e Eli, we see um, um, Samuel, who was a good priest, but n not... Not the one that God promised, right? And, uh, and then Samuel, uh, he anoints Saul. And we know Saul, not a very good uh, king, um, because what, what was Saul's major problem? He did not value the presence of the Lord. Amen. And because he did not value the presence of the Lord, then God was going to take away the kingdom from him. And then God speaks to Samuel and says, there's a guy that I've got, right? Um, and, uh, and we know the story. Samuel goes, he goes to Jesse's house. We know that um, he says, consecrate yourselves. We're going we're gonna to go and we're going to worship the Lord and we're going to sacrifice and what have you. It's a huge, huge day and event in the life of that town and also in the life of that family. It's major. And what's so major, um, they leave one of the kids in the bushes. I, can't, I cannot this morning express how horrific that is. When your whole family is having this major event, you're going to be, you're going to be celebrated, you've been elevated, the, the president has come to town, and the president now has called you as a family, and you say, yeah, all of you guys come, but one of the kids, you can stay and look after the sheep. The sheep was the lowest thing you could do in those days. You, you, know, you can just go, you, you, I don't, you don't, you, you're not even going to come and stand in the back, you're going to stay at home. And we never ever see David even wobble because he had found something, friends, that was way, way more important to him. And when Samuel comes and he looks at all of them, and, and we know it's a great chapter where it says, man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. And, and he does, he looks at, at, and we often, we get caught up in this, we look at this thing and we just think, oh, man, that's what, that's what it's all about, that's what it's after, that's why I got this job, that's why I'm going I'm, to do that, and achieve this and do that, whatever, and God's going, me. And, uh, and you've got Eliab, who's the most buff, awesome, fantastic, ripped, powerful, good-speaking Okay, that best you could ever choose in the natural. So was Saul. And uh, at the end of the day, no, sorry, let's go. And, and we know David is, is anointed. Um, but if you go and study in the Bible, um, 1 Samuel 13. If you go and study in 1 Samuel 13, maybe I must make this legal and, and use some scripture. Um, 1 Samuel 13, if you, if you just jump to 1 Samuel 13, I just, I want to, uh, Saul is, is very naughty here. Um, what Saul does is he, uh, he's, uh, he's supposed to wait seven days and then Samuel's to come. 
because they're fighting the Philistines and, and it's a serious battle and the Philistines are intimidating and quite scary. And, uh, and so you, you need God's blessing so that you can win the battle. Amen. And Samuel says, wait seven days and I'll come and we'll give an offering to the Lord. And he waits seven days. It doesn't say it was the eighth day. So he waited seven days. We often do this. It's still in that day, but we're like, oh, boy, God, you're obviously not going to come through. I'm going to make a plan. And Saul says, okay, I'm going to make a plan. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to actually step in and I'm going to do the offering myself. Well, he was not ever called to be the priest. He was the king. It was very clear in those days, actually, the, the defining roles of the, of the king and, and of the priest. Anyway, so Samuel arrives and he goes, Ooh, what have you done? Whoops, you've not, you've not done good. Um, um, if you're just reading from, say, in verse 13, he says, uh, Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom in Israel forever. You have not kept the command of the Lord. Very important when you contrast him to David. Um, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out. The Lord has sought out. A man. God sought out, David. A man. After his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be. Commanded him to be. It's one thing for the Lord to say, hey, you know what? It'll be really good for your life. What happens if he comes up and he commands? He says, Jesse, I command that you will be the CEO of Think of something really good. No. <laughs> I've commanded you. It mean, actually, what it does mean is that it's probably not going to be the easiest thing in your life. But I'm commanding you to do it because you, you, know, you, you, need, to be, you need some commands sometimes that to just stay the course. But anyway, he sought a man after his own heart. The Lord has commanded to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Here's the interesting thing, 1 Samuel 13. We don't have the exact... Um, age, but Samuel is pro, um, David is probably somewhere between 10 and 13. He's somewhere between 10 and 13, and God has found him out. He comes from a little town in Bethlehem, Nowhereville, right? You blink, you miss it, Fontaine, right? Some absolutely obscure little place, but David is not interested in where he's born or what his stature with man is going to be. And even if I'm not invited to the president's inaugural event, I'm, um, I'm very content because I found my God playing my harp, talking to the sheep. And God says, I found him, man. I sought him and I found him. I found him there. He's 10 to 13. He's, he's just a little. And then you see, if you jump all the way to 1 Samuel 16 when he's anointed, we see Saul again messing up. And there's the, he's supposed to kill all the Malachites and uh, supposed to kill King Agag. And, Agag, 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 and he, he, he doesn't. Um, we can see his heart again there. He keeps all the lacquer stuff because it's, it's really good. You know, Lord, I'll give you the sheep with the one ear missing and the left eye that's um, looking right instead of <laughs> right. 
but I'll keep the really good ones. And I'll keep it for you to bring you glory. I'm being really naughty. But anyway, let's, 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 let's not go fully there. But, and this is like four or five years later. It's amazing. God saw him when he was like somewhere between 10 and 13, four or five years later. He's around 17 now when God anoints him as king. And then he waits another 14 years to be king. There's something about this heart. Uh, uh, if we can catch it, uh, I, um, it, it blows my mind. Um, it's no wonder that he, God looked at him as a man after my own heart. And when David is made king, so get back to on track a little bit. How are we doing for time? Sorry. When David is, is made king, one thing have I desired. One thing will I seek. Desire and seek one thing. That I might dwell in your house all the days of my life. That I might gaze on your beauty, and that I might inquire in your temple. I just, for the rest of my life, want to gaze at you, at your presence, at your beauty, all my days. I just want to know you. This is eternal life, that you might know him. I just want to gaze. I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to, I want to be so reliant on you. I want to ask you questions and I want to ask for your input. I want to ask for your help. I want to inquire in your temple. I want to live my life where you are in the center, where everything that I do is all about you. This David, this beautiful David. So what's the first thing David does? Goes to find the ark, the presence of the Lord. Above all else is the presence of the Lord. And then he, he does something. We know the story and we know he, he, he tries to do, some, do it a little bit wrong. He puts it on a cart and all of that. And, but don't get sidetracked by all of that. It's, there's it's phenomenal um, teachings and, and truths and all of that. But, but when he finds out, he, um, he knows that it's meant to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. So do you know, if you study your Bible, you'll see there that it's carried on the shoulders of the Levites. But you know the Bible doesn't concentrate or speak about the Levites. Guess who runs the whole show and runs the, 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 the whole event of bringing the ark back in and all what needs to be done? David. Because David is a type of a priest-king. A type that will be fulfilled in Christ, that will be fulfilled in the body of Christ and of believers. You see, when he talks about David, it talks about the last time there was a king priest in Jerusalem was Melchizedek. You, when you start this, these dots, this, tree, this Christmas tree lights up like you cannot believe. That's why the Bible is so powerful. It should stir your heart. You go, whoa, this is unbelievable. David now is acting as king and priest. But what does he do? He restores the ark back to Jerusalem where Melchizedek operated from the last king priest and he restores back the tabernacle. 
But guess what David does, which is just blows your mind. I don't have time to dwell on it too much, but we'll unpack it for you. He restores back the presence of the Lord in a tent, which he puts on Mount Zion. Remember the word Mount Zion. It will, it will unpack in the Bible wonderfully. But now he puts it in this tent. And now he begins to operate as a king and priest. But what he does, which is so phenomenal, is he says, we're going to fetch the, the ark. Every six steps, we're going to sacrifice an ox. And uh, I forget the other thing that they sacrificed. What was it? Anyway, they sacrificed the ox and something else. Um, every six steps. And that is a long procession. But he says, I'm not just going to bring back the ark. What I'm going to do is I'm going to gather all the oaks together. And I'm going to say, right, all the Levitical priesthood and all you guys, I'm going to retrain you. Because what I'm going to do now is I need serious noise. I need things to be loud. What kind of instruments have you got? No, that's too soft. That, that's loud enough. Okay, you bring that and you bring that. Now, okay, we don't have enough. You, just you create something. But I'm going to make so much lack of noise here. And we are going to have such loud music and praise because we are going to dance and celebrate like nothing else. There is nothing on this earth that can compare to the celebration that David had bringing the... And guess what? He wore a linen ephod. Guess who wears a linen ephod? A priest. And yes, that, as Connor loves to keep telling us, that linen ephod did dance around all over the place, um, which Mikhail looked out the window and didn't appreciate it, and became barren. Now the whole story. But David, let me, I'll just tell you this because I'm dragging it out, sorry. The, there's 24 families, there's 12 in each family, there's 288 singers. There has never been music in relation to the presence of the Lord before. They blew the shofar in the morning offering. They blew the shofar in the afternoon or evening offering. There was no music. David says, I want 288 singers. By the end of David's reign, he's got 4,000 musicians. 4,000 gatekeepers, 288 singers, plus all the other Oaks and Kids ministry and what have you. No, <laughs> He's got like 10,000 people on staff. And the Bible makes it very clear. He says, you guys will not do anything else except worship the Lord day and night. And guess what? We're going to pay for it. In David's kingdom, he paid for 10,000 people to keep worshiping, gathering around the presence of the Lord, honoring the Lord. I cannot express to you, I cannot give you the words to explain how radical, how powerful this was. It's the presence of the Lord, friends, it's, it's, it's worth everything that you have. And it's not some kind of transactional thing. Hey, if I give you my all, Lord, the presence, that was the disciples. That was the first thing they thought about. Hey, listen, I gave you, I gave up my fishing boat and everything for you. What do I get? James and John, mommy's boys. Hey, mommy, go talk to Jesus and tell him, how about us sitting on his right hand? And, and Jesus is going, you don't even know what you're asking. 
Because you see, when you sit that close, you have to walk the same walk, which is not easy. And you have to be a sold-out, very sold-out individual to be able to choose that. See, here's your... Uh, I, 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 cannot, I, I cannot even do it justice, just the, how, how much David honored his presence. All I, can, all I can say is that the ark sat in a tent so that the whole of Israel could come and worship. David didn't. It was sitting in Obed-Edom's house. Obed-Edom's household was getting so blessed, so powerfully blessed. He was just, he was, he was cooking. He was, it was just Awesome. He was saying, thank you, Jesus, for these hooligans, but I get your presence in my house because my house is just being so blessed. David could come and say, Lekka, bring that thing back and let's put it now for my house. No, he wanted the whole of Israel. See, he's a man after God's own heart. He understood this thing. And here he is now, and David's now acting as, as king and priest, and he, um, he's going into the tabernacle. He's going into the tent before the Lord. I, my, I, I, I don't have the words. My... If you can understand that the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God, it's where God, where heaven came and touched earth. Friends, that if you understand the Ark and, you, and you'll see how it was built and overlaid with gold and the two cherubims, they were over it and they were touching their wings and, and between, uh, underneath them on the top of the Ark was something called the mercy seat. A large part of the church today think that was called the judgment seat. Oh, that was the clapping place. It was called the mercy seat. And when David came into the tent, he could gaze at the glory and the presence of the Lord. He could worship God. He could see the mercies of God. And it moved him. And as he encountered God and he spoke to the Lord, the Lord opened up realms to David that were way beyond him. He saw the end. He saw heaven. He saw the things of God. The prophetic. Can you imagine standing in, a, in an open, unveiled place with the presence of the Lord? That was David. Way before his time. Way before his time. If you follow through and you have to look, you'll see that Solomon comes along. David gives Solomon the, the plan. But guess what Solomon's temple follows? Moses' temple. Three Compartments doesn't follow the. It's David's heart as king and priest. He saw something. What it did follow, though, was worship. What happened from that day on was it opened something about worship. It opened something about the positioning of the heart. It opened something to the church about how we need to come to in a place of worship, and that's why we need to study the heart of David to understand what he actually did. And that's what happens in the life of the church. Why we don't see the government of God, the authority and the anointing being released because people are coming into His presence and they're singing songs, but they're not worshiping. Their hearts are still far. Their hearts haven't positioned themselves. Throughout the week, they haven't even thought about worshiping God. They haven't even, they've listened to a couple of nice songs. And a lot of those songs talk about the journey of man rather than Jesus. I was downtrodden, but Jesus now lifted me up and look at me, and I'm flying, and I'm awesome, and I'm just strong in the Lord. Oh, shut up. <laughs> just bow before the Lord. Let's talk about Him. Let's make Him the central focus. That's David. 
He loved, he was playing his harp there, just singing, whatever. He was just declaring because, because he'd seen God do such amazing things. This is what I want to say about us as the people of God in the new covenant. In the new covenant, the people of God, we have this opportunity as we position ourselves before God to receive everything that God has for us vertically. He gives it all to us. Why? He gives it all to us because when I have encountered and experienced and tasted the mercy of God, then I will give the mercy of God. I'm not working hard to give the mercy of God. I will work hard to give the mercy of God if I've never tasted or encountered the mercy of God. And then it'll be such hard work, I'll get quite tired. And then I'll have to come and lay before the altar and cry out and say, God, forgive me because I'm not merciful. And God's saying, why don't you just come, position your heart, and allow me to pour my mercy out. And that's what happened with David. He didn't write Psalm 23 just because it was a lack of thing to do and he was having a good day with the sheep. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. How could he write that? I saw it. I've experienced it. David sinned some of the most horrendous sins. I mean, they stopped at 15 major sins that David did. 15. Not hidden from the church. Not God going, well, he's a man after my own heart as long as you don't see these. Displayed so everyone can see because God wasn't wobbling over what he was sinning. He was, he was wobbling more over people's hearts. He didn't, he, he wasn't a man who could say, well, I, I didn't fail. He was a man who said, I didn't quit. He was a man who ran after God. He was a man who understood the mercies of God. Before his time, before new covenant, he was a man who actually understood he would he would go and do something which was stupid. Now, remembering as well, this was a man who, who was a king and a priest who was worshiping for the Lord, going into his presence. So while he was, it doesn't say he went on a sabbatical of naughtiness and didn't really worship the Lord. While he is, while he is saved and he's going to church and he's loving God, an opportunity came along and he tripped. And he tripped and sometimes he, he kind of didn't know he tripped. So God had to send a Nathan to come along and say, buddy, you tripped. And he said, I have not sinned here. I have sinned here. Do not take this away from me, please. He was so captivated by this. Friends, and God said, mercy. Mercy, you're a man of my heart. I love you. Mercy. And you know what David didn't say? Well, then I'm just for a week. I'm going to take a week out and I'm going to have to suffer a little bit. I think I'll just poke myself with a, just, you naughty, 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 naughty. You just, silly, 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 silly. He repents, friends, and he immediately rises up, whatever. He understood the mercies of God. He understood that there isn't a price that you have to pay. Mouth. <laughs> he saw something of the price God paid, and he's not even in the new covenant. He did something that was so against Moses. And the law of Moses. And should never have been allowed. But God said, man, this guy's got off my own heart. And now God is saying, hey, I want a group of people that are like that. Just go to Isaiah 55 on my landing. What time is it? Ooh. I should have landed. Oh. This plane is just flying around all over the place. So the captain will 
Stay seated. Put your safety belt on. <laughs> Let's go to Isaiah 55. Look what it says. And it says, And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. <laughs> some, some translations say mercy. I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you. Guess what covenant I'm going to make with you? I'm going to make that same covenant that I made with David. My sure love, my sure mercies that I had with David, I'm going to have with you. Is that powerful? You go, oh, hold on now. I, I want to understand what David saw here. You see, when Jesus comes along to fulfill this, we haven't even got there. Um, I don't know when we'll get there, but the reality is, is David was just a top and a shadow. The real was still coming. Jesus being the real. Whew. If you understand the mercy and the grace of God, whoa. We don't find ourselves just forgiven by God. We find ourselves in God. I wish I could express this with the church today. This, God wants to create a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That is not a question. That is a, a statement, and it's definitive, and it's a command of the Lord. He wants a holy nation. He wants us to be holy, which actually means to be set apart. But He, he wants us to be... A, to, to be righteous, right? We are righteous. See, Jesus has done it all. Ha! How can I explain this, Lord? I'm not for sin. I'm also not for hiding. What I am for is positioning my heart before the Lord and allowing Him to lavish me and pour out who He is over my life so that I can believe it and that I can live it. And when I do do that, then everything else actually fades away. So my way of dealing with sin is Jesus, not my own strength or my own abilities or me pleading or crying out. My way is to go back to the Word of God my way. The Bible way is to go back to the Word of God. Oh, how do you explain? Um, verse 4 says, Behold, I made him, this is talking about David, a witness, I don't know what your Bible says, the, the um, uh, Hebrew word there means model. Behold, I made him a model to the people, a leader and a commander. David was made a a witness, a model for every single one of us, uh, the, 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 what epitomized a good leader, right? Let me now quickly keep turning over to Jeremiah 3. Just giving you some scriptures. We will unpack these more. In Jeremiah chapter 3, let me... Uh, I might just land with this one because I didn't really get very far with the other stuff, so... Let me just let me give you this one. So if you go to Jeremiah chapter 3, this is a prophetic declaration um, about the, in the end, end times. 
Verse 15. You go to verse 15. It says, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart. So God says in the last days what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you shepherds like David. I'm going to give you David shepherds. Right? I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. David shepherds who are going to feed the church with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land, oh, I think I remember that from somewhere. When you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land, right from the very beginning, what did I say God's desire was? God's desire has never changed. He wants to dwell amongst His people. He's declared to them to be fruitful and to multiply. Amen? Adam and Eve did a great job of that, by the way. Because she was wow. It's going over some people's heads. They're tired. Okay. Um, be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> Pete got it. Okay. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. In those last days. We haven't even got there to about Jesus. What Jesus does, put the ark inside of you. And you become the temple. But they will no more say the ark of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. See, you've got to understand this. Unpack it really well, hopefully, over the next while. It shall not be made again. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord. I love this, man. It explodes inside of me. I go, yes, yes, Jerusalem, city of righteousness, comes the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. This is a heart thing. And listen to this. This is just for free. I'll just throw it out. And in those days, the house of Judah. You remember the house of Judah? We talked about um, 1500 BC was um, uh, Moses, 1000 BC, David, 900 BC, my favorite, Elijah and Elisha, um, uh, 931 BC, roughly, is when the two kingdoms split. They split. Uh, Judah and Israel, northern, northern Territory, Southern Territory, and we had two kingdoms, right? I hope, looks like I'm, anyway. Um, in those days, the house of Judah, what's the house of Judah? What's Judah? Praise, worship, prayer. The house of Judah, let me just say, the Houses of prayer shall join the house of Israel. What is Israel? The church. So the houses of prayer will join the church. And we will no longer say we've got it right because we minister every single day in our house of prayer. And we will no longer say because we come together on a Sunday, which is vital, and we've got it together. 
but actually both have it together because they will be joined together because they'll have an understanding of the tabernacle of David. And together they shall come from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers for a inheritance. The church will step into its rightful inheritance when it follows the blueprint of God, which God has spoken all the way through, which the houses of prayer caught the priestly rhythms and understood that this wasn't a Sunday thing, this is a daily thing, but the church has caught something else on a Sunday. I'm going to not shoot any cows now. Let me just say this. Let me say this, that God is doing something. He's gathering together His whole church. All the different splinterings of the different things that they did because of various reasons, because others weren't doing it. Um, He's going to pull it all together, and He's pulling it all together through the restoration of the tabernacle of David, through a restoration of all the hearts of the people to have this one heart. All of you, I don't care what you're doing. Let's all come together and gather around the presence of the Lord. We make that our complete focus, and with these hearts. Oh. It's, I can just say this as quickly. If, for those of you who weren't here last week, and just, um, if you can, if you listen to James, just the woman at the well. When he's speaking to the woman at the well, and he starts talking to her, and he's telling her, but yeah, you guys worship on that mountain. And they worship on that. What language is that? That's temple language. But God is looking for people that will worship in spirit and in truth. He's trying to tell them that something has changed or changing. There's a transformation happening. There's a shift happening now. It's no longer just doing a whole bunch of stuff. It's actually about a heart. If you go back, sorry, I have to. If you go back to the garden, if you go back to the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden um, get kicked out of the garden and they have Cain and Abel. How, how many have ever thought about this? When they have Cain and Abel, it's kind of the story just speeds up a little bit, doesn't tell you all the rest, because if I, if I could tell you this, because I'm naughty now, if I could tell you this, that Cain actually says when God proclaims judgment over Cain, Cain says, no ways, if I go out, whatever, they're going to kill me. Who's they? And why would they kill Cain? They don't even know him. Or do they know him? Because the Bible didn't say that that was the only two kids Adam and Eve had. And he lived to over 900, and Eve also lived a very ripe old age. And she was a well lady. I know you think of these things. So I'm giving you the answers. Cain, over a period of time, he comes and he offers to the Lord his offering. Abel comes and he offers to the Lord his offering. Ask yourself this simple question. Why are they giving an offering? Why do they even know to give an offering? Where are they giving an offering? Because just maybe they had parents who understood a temple sanctuary, a garden reality, who taught their kids and trained their kids what it was. But guess what? Their kids, when they came along, 
there was one of the kids that thought it's just automatic, this worship thing. You just come along and you just offer worship. It's just automatic. And God blesses you and says, shop, my son. No, it's not automatic. It matters about your faith and your heart. And that Cain fell. He messed up. I want to say, when you look at the garden and you realize with the church, the church has come along, lacquer, let's just give this offering of the squinty-eyed oaky and what have you. It matters your faith in your heart. It's not automatic. And that's what the, where the church has tripped up. And now God's saying, I'm bringing this thing back again. Let's put it back in its rightful place. And I can imagine even um, Adam knowing what it cost him. And the heart, that heart. And you see that as you journey all the way through the Bible. And only David really understood, really caught what Adam, I think, tried to, to say. <laughs> and, and God says, no, that's the guy I'm going to model. The rest, that's, that's the guy I'm going to, you, you go look to him. And then now what we will do is study, not, this, not today, we'll study the heart of David and what that actually meant. What were the attributes? What were the things that David caught hold of? Because he trembled at the commands of the Lord. What would it be like to, don't worry about whatever you're involved in your lives and all the nonsense and the naughtiness. What would it be like for the church just to tremble at the commands of the Lord? Start there. And as we tremble at His commands and begin to do what He's called us to do, just maybe you won't have time to be naughty. <laughs> Shall we stand? <laughs> oh, there's so much in this. I just, it makes me come alive. And I love, I love to teach the depth and how the Bible actually fits so powerfully together and how God hasn't deviated from His one desire and one heart. He just wants to come dwell. He wants to be given his rightful place.